two little mice fell in a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned. The second mouse wouldn't quit. He struggled so hard that eventually he turned that cream into butter and crawled out. Gentlemen, as of this moment, I am that second mouse. It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance. Now let's start the show. Step back on the cold. Problems. Mm. Tell us to fuck off. Ladies and gentlemen, the CO double MON synonym for fresh truth is the emblem. Welcome back, everybody, to another great episode of the Second Mouse Podcast. I am joined with Tom and Q. My name is Gatto. How you fellas doing today on this wonderful Monday? It's Monday. Let's pace ourselves. <laughs> we have to understand, Tom. Monday is Gatto's Saturday, and this is my Sunday, so it's a lot better for us. Good. My weekends are actually my weekends. I mean, so. you're you're drinking Ooh, like, like it's weekends. your weekend, so. <laughs> I am. <laughs> what do you got over there? Is that is that apple cider and whiskey? What is that? Uh, no, that's I'm not playing into fall just yet. This isn't a fucking home goods where it's room temperature th- ginger ale. It's uh, uh it's Cooper bourbon, actually. Yeah, I figured I should be drinking heavily if I'm gonna talk to you fucking clowns the whole time. Fair enough. But yeah. You guys having a good weekend so far? Mm, PG, I can't I can't move my neck without shifting my entire torso, so it's always a good thing. Prostitution will do that to you. Or lack thereof. <laughs> or lack thereof. So we got a couple of topics to talk about tonight. Um, and there are some things that happened after we had recorded. It always happens that way that we put out a show and then some fucking news happens. And I'm fed up with it. I'm, I'm, I'm frankly pissed because what ends up happening is like other shows – take like our good points and then make entire episodes out of it. And then viewers watch that. Bill like, Maher wouldn't us... even give us a like on Instagram or anything. He just steals our shit. Dude, John Oliver stole his whole stick of monkey pox from last week that we had. It's really offensive. Seriously, but, John. But one, a couple of the things that happened in the last week that we were not able to catch on the last episode is apparently Biden is cool again. Apparently, um, fucking laser eyes. He's America's zaddy. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Joe Biden has turned into like a meme lord overnight. And it's the called, term the, it's called dark, the dark, yeah, dark Brandon. Yeah. Dark Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Because well, they basically, they've taken the word Brandon, like, so let's go Brandon, which was ache. And now they've taken the Brandon moniker and embraced it. And now he's dark Brandon with the laser eyes. So so, so it only took them like uh, two years to figure out how to do something they should have been doing like the next week. Yeah. We had, we had people last week saying they wouldn't like commit to supporting him in 2024. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> dark fucking, like, Chris Mur- I saw Chris Murphy fucking posted the laser eyes meme and i'm like I, this is so fucking 2022 i'm pretty sure that joe biden is actually QAnon. 
I'm I'm sure it was a deep psyop that he was running to get everybody excited, and now he's going to reveal himself as if, Q. If there was one person that was around for the Kennedy assassination, it was definitely him, right? I would so. agree with that. Yeah, storm is coming. <laughs> he is the storm. But I I mean, there's some interesting things that have happened in the last week or so. Um, I think Fox News and everybody who affiliates with it was really excited to have like a less than stellar jobs report, and they were basically warming everybody up to the fact that we were going to be particularly in a recession and it ended up not happening because jobs report was better than everybody thought it was. The I know people don't, people should not use this as an example, but the stock exchange is doing well and he's been able to manipulate a few folks to side with him on some bills that were passed in the house and the Senate. And it just seems like the the narrative has flipped, regardless of the fact that Kirsten Cinema is still out there, like blatantly jumping in front of cars to protect like hedge fund managers, which is just <laughs> fucking weird. But we're hey, someone's got to go. stick up for the very rich guy, okay? Yeah, because there's not enough representation of like super rich people. They're underrepresented, statistically speaking. They might have all the wealth, but there's only a few of them. You know, somebody's got to stand up for them. They're the victims, actually. They really are. It's so weird to see that, like, Manchin made this, like, full turn and was, like, on board from day one. And then all of a sudden, like, we have to convince Kristen Sinema to fucking jump on the bill. And it's like... He was a sleeper. He was a sleeper, and then they said they said Dark Brandon, and that was what woke him up. <laughs> Someone called him on his rotary phone at his house and said, "Is this Joe? Is this Joe Manchin? Is this Senator Joe Manchin?" Dark Brandon says hello, and he drops the phone and just walks out of the house in his bare feet. <laughs> just he just starts walking to the Capitol. <laughs> Somebody said the storm is coming. He's like, all of a sudden, his eyes just went. Lasered. He was, eating, he was eating peanut butter out of the jar with his fingers, and the jar is just stuck to his hand as he's walking down the street. And Kirsten Cinema is just like, fuck you guys. I'm going to stick up for the rich people. But all that to be said, um, do you think couple that with the, the veterans bill and the voter, um, the, the, ballot initiative that was in Kansas that protected uh, women's rights. Does this change any of the narrative or does this change any of the, the calculus for November for the midterms or does it change anything for his reelection in 2024? Cause he's going to run, right? He's not, yeah. not going to run. I think it gives them a, something to run on because, you know, you're talking about a deeply red state in Kansas that basically was a two to one voted uh for to favor to support abortion rights so i think i think uh the elimination of roe gives them something it's not enough so they are going to have to see a rebound economically but you know gas prices are also going down um it seems like inflation is is slowing but the problem is like i hope this is not just a like a quick glimpse of what it could be and then you know we go down that road again i I just hope that like we're actually on a good path here I, you know what, I, I look at both of these things and I think they're very separate. Um, I see, I see that this is an opportunity that will probably be blown, right? So Kansas voting um, in their referendum 
Uh, that goes with the national, like, average, though, on how people felt about the decision, right? Like, a majority of people, like 63% of Americans or whatever, did not agree with uh, the SCOTUS decision. And I think, you know, if you play those odds, like, across the entire country, it's just, it was an unpopular decision. And I think moderates moderate conservatives and people that aren't on that the crazy christian conservative line they're going to vote against it it's not in their best interest so i think that's a misnomer in a lot of comparison but it it it's great for it's great for the left um it's great for the democrats because it goes with what their what their messages are so they can really jump on board and get people mobilized on that. And dark Brandon's in it. As long as uh, he keeps the economy moving in the right direction. I think it's interesting in that regard in that Kansas was like the perfect place to have this ballot initiative. And if you listen to a lot of the conservative media talk about how this has basically been set up for them to fail. Like they said that the the left spent a ton of money on how to do this, um, or they spent a ton of money to advocate for women's rights being upheld in the state. Turns out it's a pretty even split between both conservatives and liberal groups that spent money. They also said too that the ballot initiative itself was strangely worded when in the reality, a conservative group is the one that fucking wrote it. <laughs> um, and they're trying to like find things to complain about at this point. And it's just really interesting to watch little Marco complain and Rick Scott bitch about all of these things that are happening when it's like, guys, you were doing all of this shit when you were in power. The only difference was, is that you were just doing it for rich people. Like, that's the thing. And it's funny that I mentioned little Marco because he went on this whole Twitter rant about his flight being canceled and he had to go and vote now and all that shit. Keep in mind, this is a, this is a Senator that actually tweeted out their fucking airline number. Um, <laughs> Chuck and Chuck oh, little Marco. Also, yeah. Uh, Chuck Grassley also was like complaining about him missing his fucking family reunion or some shit. Dude, you're 94. You've had enough of them. I'm like, I'm surprised he had any family left at this point. <laughs> 94 years old. Like, dude, just retire. Yeah, why are you here? Uh, but to, to kind of mention what Gato was talking about is like, it, it's good for the left. It is. But I, I do worry that it might lead to a little overconfidence because 2016 was a referendum on Roe as well. Because obviously with Scalia dying... And the Senate Republicans basically blocking any chance of uh, nominating Merrick Garland. We knew a Supreme Court justice was on the table and Trump still won. Republicans overwhelmingly won the House and the Senate. So I'm just I, I don't want to I don't want to think that like Roe is going to carry us. Now, there is a difference between a just a Supreme Court justice and the fact that now Roe is gone. So it is it is a different situation but i just don't want to get too overconfident to 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 that point i wasn't i wasn't really making um a remark that they should like stop here at all i i think this is where they begin and if you continue in the right trends of just dominating and owning the right right here this is where you build this is this is your snowball at the top of the at the top of the mountain right and it can gain some momentum and size if you if you keep letting it tumble and you keep working 
on it, right? Like it's oh, yeah, I agree with you. I just the, think that I just think that the Democrats might be like, yeah, we got this in the bag because of Roe. Yeah, well, no, no, and and I I don't think like I don't think they even thought that in 2016. They really just thought Donald Trump was never going to win. They were so blind to the thought that Donald Trump would win that they completely fucking miss missed all the cues and weren't paying attention which to your point that reinforces that makes yeah. a lot of sense you know I, um, I also want to point out that you should really be very I want to say unoptimistic about the midterms but um I, look Nate Silver's been wrong a lot so I will hold some hesitance um he actually has flipped his model uh he now thinks that the Democrats are probably going to retain the Senate and might win a couple seats which is positive but the house is going to be gone he said yeah. he he's made the proclamation that even if the democrats win all the races that they're expected to win even if they win all the toss-ups they still fall short i will say though there was a there was polling that came out today that had tim ryan over jd vance by like five percent now that's probably within the margin but from three. Yeah. Fr from all the reporting, though, is that the J.D. Vance campaign has not gone well. He's not a terribly captivating speaker. He's not a terribly interesting person. And it's they're out of money at this point. And I just find it really interesting that this this guy who basically wrote like the, you know, the, the fight song for Appalachia is just so out of touch. Who would have thought this guy who's fucking rich now who went to Harvard is totally out of touch with what's actually going on in Appalachia. Shocking. It's uh, you know, what's funny is I also read something today about how he's silently given his approval for the new chips act. Mm -hmm. So he, he tried to do it off of his, like um, his election parties, uh, Twitter account instead of his own main account, like silently giving the nod and support towards the bill. Whereas like Jim Jordan is like, fuck no, hell no about this. And it's really, it's funny because he means well with this one because it's actually going to bring the chips, the chips act will bring money to Ohio, but the rest of the Ohio Republicans want nothing to do with bringing money and jobs to fucking Ohio. <laughs> It's, it's just about giving Brandon a win. They don't want to do that. So Yeah. Um, I want to give you guys final thoughts on this topic, and then we're going to move on to something else. Cute. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're a couple months away still, so there's, you know, I, I just I, I just can't find my, I can't find the optimism, because again, remember, the last few times this has happened, so the last few Democratic presidents, we talk about Clinton in 98, we talk about Obama in 2010, Every single time a Democratic president has taken over, there's always been a rough start. Um, and then two years in, we lose the House, we lose the Senate. It's a fight. It's a dogfight for the last few years. Now, historically, the Democrats have always won that re-election. So something to keep in mind. But as of right now, I just not feeling too good about November still. I know everything is starting to rebound. It looks better. But I think from a pure number standpoint, because of gerrymandering, we're, we're not gonna, it's not going to look good. I... I would say on on one account of this, though, is that we are still way too far out. I agree with that. But do not underestimate people's desire to run away from populist things that become unpopulist. Um, the, tra the Trump brand is becoming 
venomous more and more every day. They're looking worse more and more every day. They're turning on their own more and more every day. And I, I can see how quickly that brand will become unappealing. And a lot of these people that, that have gotten, uh, have won the primaries off the Trump endorsement will not make it to the next round. And that's what I do see something that might happen. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I think the, the difference between years past is the, um, the people that are running for Senate and running for House seats and state legislature on the Republican side. There's not a whole lot of room for normality. Um, and just generally, <laughs> like, average people thinking. It's all, like, Q-brain bullshit. Um, or, like, stop the steal people. And, and honestly, there's a lot of republicans that are out there that are just tired of this shit like dude you lost get over it um or i mean ron DeSantis ran an election uh, um, promo that basically pulled people that said like we love trump but he's just got this just this is too much like we want somebody new somebody fresh who's DeSantis, and like okay well it's that's kind of like trump just with like better suits and like a better toupee but I'm trying. I'm trying to ignore the polling because I saw a poll yeah. that DeSantis is down by a point against Charlie fucking Chris, who is just the biggest wet blanket alive. Um, who's ran for that? Posi- who's ran for that for like three or four different times in yeah. the Senate and he's gotten obliterated all of them. He, he's 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 just because I mean, mind you, DeSantis didn't win by a lot. You know, I think it was like less than a point he beat Gillen by. He's very so close. He was very close, and obviously he's taken a turn for the worse. Um, but so, I mean, but he seems very popular in Florida. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I just don't trust polling because like it was more accurate last time. Um, so I recommend everybody to go, uh, at redistrict on Twitter, Dave Wasserman, that guy never wrong as far as I've seen. So, um, if you want, if you want to get in a good idea about a polling is correct, he's, he's the guy to look for. Yeah. Um, moving on away from like good things that are happening to bad things that have happened. And we're going to, uh, Nancy Pelosi's unrequested and unneeded, uh, trip to Taiwan. And I think, Back at I, again. <laughs> I think, I think we were all supportive of Taiwan being, um, being allowed its freedom and independence from mainland China. I think the the concerns that we have now is just the timing of this and then kind of the backlash. And you already have the United States in a a pseudo trade war with China and essentially trying to China um, trying to manage that relationship. And Nancy Pelosi goes to Taiwan, pisses everybody off and only has created more problems since then. Um, the Taiwanese president did not even meet her at the airport and sent um, another head of state there. And it also pissed off the South Koreans too. So um, guys, where are we, where are you with this? I don't claim to be an expert on Chinese and Taiwanese relations. So I, I, I don't, I don't know the history well enough to, you know, offer an opinion on that, but as far as going there when China has basically made this like a red line issue, 
And like the fact that they, I think they were firing missiles in Taiwan, Taiwan's direction the other day. They were running a whole, like, military exercise. Yeah, yeah. With a simulated invasion, too. We, we're, <laughs> we're already, like, go back to the Trump years, and then even, like, now, everyone is basically anti-China. You know, Democrats and Republicans. Like, Republicans just call Democrats, like, the, the China party. And Democrats try and distance themselves from that. So there's already a frayed relationship between these two countries, and arguably the next biggest superpower. So I wouldn't try and inflame these situations even any anymore. And it just it just seems it, it was just stupid, and reckless. And I, I'm surprised no one from our own party stopped it. So okay, so with with that though. I think the first initial reaction everybody had was that this was reckless, right? Reckless. Why are we doing this? What What's going on here? And that's why I had to take a step back, I think, a little bit too, and wonder, why are we actually doing this? And I know there was a lot of, like, there was a lot of stuff that went to the press about how the Biden administration um, – other key members of the Democratic Party were like, Nancy, don't go. I started to wonder if this has a little bit more to do with getting China on the phone and getting a conversation going between us, which, yes, we could say our, our relations have now fractured a bit more. But um, I think the minute that the jet that Nancy was on took off um a phone call was placed to the white house from from china from the president of china and they had a conversation for what i believe was two hours um so in some ways you know when you have these conversations among rivaling superpowers and i i'm going to say that i think a lot of our our sentiment besides being that you know based on economics and and in America, there is subconscious fear of being overtaken as number one by China, I think. And that's where a lot of this comes from. It becomes very important how you strategically stage having communications and whatnot. And I think that there was a level of distraction or like a decoy by using Nancy, getting her to go over there on a plane that created a conversation. There's also the idea that we want to focus or change their focus because we we're not happy with them helping out Russia um, and keeping Russia afloat during their invasion. I, I think that we want to remind them by basically walking into their backyard. So they, I think there's a lot more here at hand. So, than so my only concern with that is China has basically plainly said that someone's going to pay a price for this. And was pointed at the u.s but they're not going to shoot nancy Pelosi's plane down right so like what is the ultimate price that they're going to pay i fear that taiwan's going to have to pay the price for this well well they did they uh hacked the taiwanese president's webpage. they ddosed right. it or whatever it's like right. ooh, okay because taiwan is not really able to defend themselves against china the the big the people who are going to pay the price for this stunt are ultimately going to be the people of taiwan not nancy Pelosi's. I do so, want to go I yeah. do want to go back to what you were saying earlier like I think there could have been so many different ways this was handled and I think the timing of this is very nuanced in the sense that Xi Jinping is going through an election cycle right now where he could win um president for a third term 
Or life. Or life. Didn't he already declare himself president for life? I think he need, would need to be elected, quote unquote. Um, yeah. but, Basically by his best friends that are. <laughs> yeah. So when he, when he wins 100% out. of the vote, he's like, yes. Yeah, who <sighs> runs the Chinese Politburo? But I, I think the thing that is different, though, in the sense that he's going through that election cycle and Nancy Pelosi's effectively given him enough of ammunition for him to use against any opponent that he has. Because right now in China, their economy is not doing as well as they're making it out to be. There's a lot of issues with money and a lot of issues with It's jobs more than cyclical. Right. And I think that's the issue is that let's say the Democrats lose in November. Nancy Pelosi is no longer Speaker of the House. She goes to Taiwan in November, not as the head of head of a state, but just as a politician to show support. People have done this in the past, but she is the highest ranking government official who's gone to Taiwan since 1997. And at that point, too, Xi Jinping's election would have been over as well. I don't think this would have had the same lasting impact as it does right now, because you've given um, Ping, uh, President Xi's side of the political party, all the ammunition they need. They've stirred up a lot of people in China to say the government, the U S is like creeping into territory that they don't understand and they don't belong in. And then ultimately we've made both Taiwan and South Korea and Japan real fucking nervous to do anything with us. And it just feels very much like, why did this happen again? You were there for like a half of a day. Why did you need to go there? And it feels like an empty gesture that, you know, she came in, ordered a big fucking meal, had two slices of pizza and then left and didn't offer to pay any of the money for it. You're right, Q. You're right, Gato. Like, this is not America that's going to pay the toll for this. It's going to be all of our allies in the Pacific that are going to have to deal with the fallout. Yeah, I think that's the concern is that. You know, Nancy's Nancy's not going to face any consequences for this, because I mean Biden apparently has offered you know backup on this. So yeah, yeah but guys, he... but guys, we're sending billions of dollars to Ukraine, and the economy is now doing good. It's almost like if we create like an international incident, then these countries might need to arm themselves, and who are they going to get their weapons from? If you want to talk about money that's given to a country to defend itself, like Ukraine is a drop in the bucket comparative to how much money and weapons and military supplies that we provided to Taiwan. Like exactly. And that's ultimately a problem <laughs> right now too, because there's a lot of like smart weapons that we've utilized that have gone that normally go to Taiwan. They went to the Ukraine instead. And in some cases there's, there's reports that there's a falling out between Biden and Zelensky because Zelensky is not willing to share what happens to those weapons and supplies once they get in country, which is a bad fucking sign because that is also a part of the world that is not, not known for a black market weapons marketplace or um, major weaponry just up and fucking disappearing. Like this whole truck, where did this truck go? Let, let's just call them uh, opportunists. This truck fell off the back of the truck and went into another truck. <laughs> and and ultimately, like, are those going to be seized by another country and then used against us? So we've seen it happen before. Tale is always done. 
All right. Um, any final thoughts on Nancy going to Taiwan? China. China. Um, speaking of people that are not having a good time right now, so the edgelords that are uh, Johnny Depp stands requested all of the files from his court case with Amber Heard to be made public, um, unseal the court documents. And in theory, this was a fun idea because it would give something to his fan base to comb over and just troll Amber Heard with. Turns out it's actually detrimental to Johnny Depp's case and every piece of him, every piece of evidence just really just highlights how big of a piece of shit he is. Yeah, um, I was going to bring this up last week, and it's the worst with the Marilyn Manson text. Mm. God, I know you were doing some research on this last week. What would you say the worst thing you found was? Um, I, I think in general, like the, the Marilyn Manson stuff is really bad. Um, but there was almost, I think there was also other texts about actually going on like an, a campaign ahead of time trying to create say this was a hoax right like this was like kind of planned well well in advance to kind of start a, a pr campaign that evidence was there was unsealed right like these were things that like the court said this wasn't part of like the case at hand right but now we're looking at it and we're seeing that maybe it wasn't but this is sure shit is painting a different picture of everyone's darling sweetheart that was Johnny Depp, you know? Yeah, the real nice and cool and down-to-earth guy who, you know, just got mixed up with, you know, somebody who was really abusive. Turns out Johnny Depp is just yeah, not as yeah. good as he's been made out to be. Apparently uh, erectile dysfunction, uh, STDs, and yeah. well, now, I, there was one text that I saw um they were talking about like setting up like a a sex dungeon or something did you <laughs> see that Otto? i didn't see that one i did hear about the uh erectile dysfunction which led johnny depp to become violent at times um so yeah johnny depp with with coke dick is probably a very violent combination yeah there, there's 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 a movie called sallow and and it came out in the 70s and it's horrifying um and like apparently that's what the, the situation they wanted uh going on so i you know do your own research on that because i don't even want to put it out in the universe because uh it's pretty gross so yeah america's sweetheart johnny depp and this this is this is the problem with like i've been seeing lately parasocial relationships so you see somebody either in movies or a podcast or whatever and you develop this like weird parasocial relationship with them ultimately that uh you know you think you know them you think you know them because you see them on the screen but you really like it just goes to show you don't know anything about these people at all you know a person playing a part and you actually know the part better than you know the person if they're worth their weight in salt right as an as an actor or actress they see edward scissorhands or captain jack sparrow and it's like no <laughs> It's Mind always, you, I was going to say, it's always interesting because the people that play villains in movies are people assume like they're assholes in real life. When in reality, they're actually like probably nicer than most people because they have to like unpack all of that 
preconceived notion that people have about them. And meanwhile, like the Johnny Depp's of the world or the people who play heroes and are supposed to be like the most likable people on the screen, they're the biggest assholes of all because they know they can get away with it. I mean, not to sound like a Karen here, but if I saw Edward Scissorhands on the street, I'm calling the fucking cops. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Sorry. There's no way I'm, I'm fucking letting that one go. That's an active scissor situation, and we need to respond accordingly. He tries to cut your hair, and it turns into a standard ground law. <laughs> but, Tom, you're right, though. I was just thinking of, like, the guy from uh, the, the kid who played Joffrey on Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone on set there was, like, really upset and bummed out that he was leaving because apparently he's like one of the nicest guys, which if you watch that, that show, he's the most despicable. I think and his I, death was like the most celebrated event ever. In that show. It was, it was weirdly satisfying. Right. And I wonder though, do these like, like role choices, do they impact their future earnings or future opportunities? Because the guy that played Draco Malfoy from Harry Potter has not been in a whole lot of things. Um, I recently saw him in a Netflix movie called The Forgotten Battle, and he's in maybe half of it. But, you know, he's a kid who's playing a villain in a movie. Like, he's a 13-year-old. Like, we're taking so much, we're putting so much emphasis on this young person who's playing a character, and we're taking it so personally does that impact that person's like career aspirations? Cause I might not be watching the movies that he's in, but he also might not get be getting a whole lot of acting roles because it's like, eh, you were Draco and everyone hates your guts. Is, is that because he was a villain or was that just because he becomes typecast as Draco now? Like kind of like, do you think about like the people? How many who, movies um, were there? Four, five? I think like six. It could have been I, that too. Because, I think, like, you, like, I think Friend, like, you, you know, talk about Friends, it's a highly successful show, but, like, other than Jennifer Aniston, like, none of them really had any... Maybe Courtney success. Cox? Maybe? Kind of. But, like... Oh, um, like, Perry had a couple movies there. He did the whole nine yards and stuff. Yeah, and, but, I mean, that was, 90, that was the 90s, though, guys. It was, yeah, he was in... It was still in, like, the peak of his, his fame. Dave Schwimmer is, like, the classic um, he, case he's a, this, where yeah. he really didn't do anything after that. Phoebe Cates did pretty well she did a couple series and what lisa kudrow lisa kudrow sorry <laughs> i forgot phoebe cates is so, uh... i just mixed two people i mixed a real person with her character That's a good one. <laughs> yeah but i mean like you don't really see them having that major success so i think it might i think i think it's more in line with like typecasting more than i like i would agree with you q type like typecasting is probably what's really at play here but also I don't know how well of an example he ends up being because if you're one of the kids from Harry Potter and you were in the entire series, you got fucking paid. And so you don't really have to do anything else for the rest of your life anyhow. Yeah, like, I do feel bad for him. You know, but some people are okay with a couple million dollars, you know? I'll take a couple hundred thousand. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. No, seriously, this this is a request, listeners. Yeah, please give us hundreds it. of thousands please. of dollars now, please. And and if it makes it any better, we'll consider it fiduciary um, dominance, and you can get your kinks off giving us your hundreds of thousands. Of and, dollars. and please send and please send your money to Alex Jones. He needs it really bad right now. 
Yes. Yeah, and 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 if you request kindly and you give us that money, Q will squish things between his toes. Weird things. Sure. And now it's on record too. <laughs> now it's on record. It has to happen. I mean, I'll rub things in my armpit. Uh, that's okay. I'll do I that. mean, like, who cares about feet stuff? I mean, like, just feet. It's just feet. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll, do, I'll mash things between my toes if you pay me money. Sure. Whatever. I don't care. You should talk to Connor. He might have a job. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. actually a pretty good idea. Some side work. So we are uh, traveling further and further down in the depths of despair, and we are hitting what is perceived to be rock bottom at this point um, with the decision by the Texas court on um, Alex Jones, who is responsible for paying, is it two families? Two families? I'm not 100% sure on how many uh, families are involved. So, I know it's it's four million dollars at the settlement on that. Yeah. So, um, it came down this past week that Alex Jones is found liable for, um, effectively making up a story that the victims of the Sandy Hook shooting, God, ten years ago now, um, were fake, and it was a government operation, and that's proven to be false. Ultimately, Alex Jones will be paying between 45 and $50 million in damages to the families. And I know that there were two families in particular that were involved in the most recent court case. And there's three other cases that are going on with three other families. And I think it's really interesting to see Alex Jones, who, by the way, is a former White House press credential holder for InfoWars under the Trump administration, to see this entire story arc of the Sandy Hook shooting, his theory on it and his promotion of said theory land in court and according to the records is effectively going to ruin Infowars, which is not a bad thing. Let's get your guys' take on it. Gato, what you think? <laughs> I, I feel like karma is a son of a bitch, right? Like this was this was a long time coming. This... This is like he he stayed he stayed untouched for so long. I mean, he really rose to to like prominence by saying that like nine eleven was an inside job, you know. And that's that's where he kind He's of changed. got his yeah. That's that's where he got his his like big his big boost or his big uh, start. Right? People started noticing him. I love what happens in in the court case because there's there's been highlights all week of this and like if. If you've been watching what this asshole's been saying for years, and like we have, because it's hysterical the shit that he says. Um, it was just so satisfying when the the judge turns to him and goes, "Mr. Jones, just because you think this is the truth doesn't mean it's actually true," which is her way of like saying, "Just because you're a delusional, batshit liar doesn't mean we have to take anything you have to say as credible, and doesn't mean that you even believe your words." Like. She was basically saying, like, no one, including you, believes your words. It was it was fucking hysterical when his own legal team, who was probably exhausted of dealing with his bullshit, just flat out sent two years worth of his own text messages to the to the plaintiff's attorneys. 
They were so exhausted. They just said, oh, shit, I sent this on accident. Fuck it. And, and the lawyer for the Sandy Hook family basically said they were given an opportunity to claim it as privilege. Mm-hmm. And they, they didn't. So. Yeah, so I do have a conspiracy theory about this. All right. In those texts, in, in there, it contained uh, information saying he was profiting almost $800,000 a day at points um, off of his website, off of his InfoWars store. I wonder if that was a plant by him and his legal team so that they they would then assume a certain number because he got hit with all these uh, punitive damages, right? And this was his way of basically backing out, saying InfoWars is, is bankrupt, paying out these people, but still ending up with a nice nest egg at the end, because there's a good chance he made more than that uh, per day. And they're saying that he's been moving money out of the business into like, I, I forgot what it was, but it was like moving into an account to try and claim that he's broke and he can't pay anything. So and yeah, I think that's, that's been happening for a while, too. Apparently, um, his his supporters are sending him a lot of Bitcoin. He's, he's asking for a lot of Bitcoin. So. <laughs> yeah, it's just really interesting how this whole thing is materialized in the sense that he seemed to be almost untouchable for a long time because people didn't want to like engage with it. And they thought, if we just ignore Alex Jones, he'll eventually go away on his own. Like He's not the first like shock jock or conspiracy theorist or a provocateur that's been out there. But if you, if you sit and watch an, an info war show, and I, I, I don't recommend it by the way, this second mouse podcast is not recommending recommend it. it. <laughs> Dude, there's some classic episodes out there. Man. There's some interesting conversations that are had out there, but I think the concerning part about InfoWars is just how it has seeped into just mainstream media too. He won because, because Alex Jones was a he was a credential holder at the White House. He's been interviewed on CNN. He's been interviewed on Joe Rogan's podcast. It's the yeah, longest podcast they ever fucking had to. It's like four and a half hours long. <sighs> and he's been on a number of other platforms, including Fox News, where he's been allowed to just like go fucking crazy. <laughs> and also, too, this is also the same trial where he said that he couldn't go to court because he had or he lost memory because he had really hot chili. <laughs> he said it was uh, really spicy chili and then he said he he said he couldn't do he couldn't come to court because he was sick and then he was doing a show that day too yep and his doctor said it was okay I mean, <laughs> did you watch the did you watch the uh joe rogan episode i listened to it so there's the point where he's talking about the international interdimensional demons and it's so funny to just watch <laughs> joe rogan go like wow man that's really interesting <laughs> it's like, just like I'm not gonna like engage with this at all. Have you done DMT? That's yeah. all, that's all it is. Demons, they come down, they steal children, they bring them back. And Joe Rogan's like, yeah, man, it's crazy. What do you know about kickboxing? <laughs> <laughs> he does. Yeah. He does exactly. Joe Rogan does exactly what like any of us would do if we were at a bus stop 
waiting and there was like someone that was mentally yeah. unstable there we would just like pacify them with tom you make a great point though this is seeped into like politics at this point like every like every republican at this point is like an info wars addict they they use they use his tactic they use his strategy yeah but you're right okay. there was anyway a fringe group of people who believed a lot of this shit and now it seems that that fringe group has turned into like a full band of individuals who are fully pilled on it and i mean frankly this is also the same guy who showed up at the january 6th insurrection as well and left because it was too crazy for him <laughs> and I, I i'm i'm curious to see like what is the next act in the alex jones experience or the alex jones story because just because you know, he's going to have to pay like $49 million in damages to these families does not necessarily mean it's going to ruin him. No. And, and he's been deplatformed already and he's still making money. He'll just, he'll just open up a new thing. And, you know, all he, all he needs is the only thing that would financially ruin him is if somebody took away his credit card costs. I, yeah. I, I feel it. like he'll start a new news channel newscast and he'll call it like fax battle or something like that. And uh, it will be the same thing. <laughs> Except I do, at, at some point I do see like a whole thing coming out in like the New York Times where they uncover that his his bunker somewhere in like the foothills of Texas. Awesome. Um, he, he was designing, he was actually working on designing a drug to turn the frogs gay that he was going to then dump into the water so that he could prove that his conspiracies about that were real. So I'm, I'm waiting for things like that too. Didn't Alex Jones also have his hand in Comet Pizza and the Seth Rich murder yeah. conspiracy too? Jack, Jack Posobiec used to work for InfoWars. That's so right. He was, the, he was the main Pizzagate guy for a long time. So Bumblejack, shout out. Um, so no shout out. Do you see John Stewart rip him to fucking shreds the other day? You know, it was the funniest thing to see that and then see a picture of um, see a picture of Jack Pasobiec or whatever the fuck his Pas name Pasobic. is. Pasobic. wearing like a jacket, dress shirt, and tie, and then like cargo pants down. Oh, and he just looks like the tackiest piece of shit ever. Yeah, he 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 used to do live streams in uh, comedy ping pong, and you know basically like, he, like I remember I would I would listen to um, Will Summer talk about him, and he would be like, he'd be sitting in there, mind you, it's just a regular pizza place that, by the way, does not have a basement. They, nope. they said they don't have a basement, um, and he would be like, oh man, the waitresses are looking real strange, and like, oh man, they they all seem very nervous that I'm here, and like. Mind you, it's just a live stream, like looking at it, kind of like how you see me right here. I'd and be just fucking alarmed. I'd be fucking alarmed too if some sweaty, weird guy is sitting there saying odd oh, yeah. shit into a fucking phone like that. And then they, they clearly they, not they, having a conversation with anybody normal on the other end. Yeah, because he he originally with with PizzaGate, he used to try and act like, oh, like I didn't. I'm just looking for the facts. Like I don't believe it. I don't think it's true. But like. Hey man, they've been acting real strange about this. So like, maybe I am starting to believe it. So he tried to do the, the Tim Pool act, like, oh, I don't believe it, but hey, I'm willing to investigate it. And like, wow, my investigations are finding that everything is true. 
Yeah. Um, I would be generally concerned too if there was a man that walked in half suit, half cargo pants. <laughs> um that is that is a devastating look. And and Merrill shoes. I would be generally concerned about like who dressed you in the day. That is the look of someone who's gonna tell you that his father's a lawyer and he's gonna sue you. Yeah, but also loves being outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that sounds like someone who it works in life insurance, but that's another Ooh. story. Um uh FBI raids Trump Mar-a-Lago. Breaking news. Breaking. We have breaking news now. Whoa. New feature on the Second Mouse podcast, and we're giving it to you for free. All yeah. Right, people? Get the fuck out of here. So uh, from Kyle Griffin on Twitter, breaking, the FBI executed a search warrant today at Mar-a-Lago, according to Trump. Um, the Hill is also reporting on this as well. According is, to Trump. Is Trump the only source on that? Yeah. I don't know. Let's let's read this. Um... <laughs> because Because if he's saying it, I don't. I don't know. Oh, the Hill says it's developing, but apparently oh, Trump is the only one that's reporting this. Now, Trump is the only one reporting. <laughs> so Trump, yeah. Words like, oh, are under siege, by the way. How funny would it be if he paid a couple people in like FBI jackets to just like go into his <laughs> going to Murloc? It's it's just turning point goons. Yeah. So CNN is basically just saying that the FBI executed the search warrant. The former yeah. president confirms to CNN the story is breaking and will be updated. So, I, lo- I, I love what he wrote here, though. It's fucking amazing. My beautiful home, Mar-a-Lago in Palm <laughs> Beach, Florida. <laughs> Currently the under siege, the raided and occupied <laughs> by the large group, the large the group broke. of FBI. Do you ever watch The Apprentice? <laughs> so, on The Apprentice, he would always bring like the, the people to like a golf course. He'd be like, Ladies and gentlemen, you're now on the greatest golf course of all time, mine. And like it would always, you would always do that. So we'd be like, they broke the, the the beautiful FBI broke into the greatest resort on earth, mine. They would, you know, what's funny is there's probably like an FBI agent right now who's sitting in one of his like his apartment complex like elevators trying to get to the 61st floor. And they can't. Why is this button not working? What what's going on here? I don't get this it. This is this is a great group of tweets here. So Caitlin Com or Caitlin Com- Collins from CNN tweeted: Trump says the raid was unannounced in ads. "Quote: They even broke into my safe." Unquote. Okay. Um, and then Will Sommer from Daily Beast tweeted: Very unfair for the FBI to not give Trump advance notice of their raid. <laughs> <laughs> very unfair very unlegal will summer favorite of the podcast very not cool very not legal <laughs> i this is I, I, so under occupied by a large group of fbi agents what would this be in reference to though because if january like, Jan, i don't know what this could be for I would assume it's for like tax purposes and shit. It, it could be the New York stuff. It could be. You're right. It could be the New York stuff. I don't think it has to do anything with January 6th. That's been quiet for a long time. So the, the only thing I could see is if this had to pertain to the deleted texts. That would be the only other thing that I could see it maybe being because was, was that wasn't that just the Secret Service though amongst themselves? I thought that was just amongst themselves. It was the Secret Service and then members of the Pentagon to yeah. each other or to Trump. I don't know, but all that to be said, like he says that he's got his goons everywhere. By the way, did 
does Secret Service not know that you just like swiping right on like your text message on your iPhone doesn't mean the tweet is deleted forever? I would I would argue though that they probably have very different cell phones than we are used to with different software. Yeah. Yeah. And when things are get when things get deleted on their cell phones, they really get deleted. They, they have Nokia brick phones. Using, <laughs> yes. I wonder if they're using encrypted uh, messaging services. Oh yeah, yeah. Every, we're every using WhatsApp day, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Imagine. By the way, um, Second Mouse owns the rights to the Secret Service Discord channel. Yes. So, you know, Gatto is an admin on the Secret Service Discord channel. I wonder if the world of hurt that is going to come down from the Secret Service for you saying that is going to be. He's the one that posts the user agreement. (laughs) I I also wonder because they they said that they found classified material. That he had taken from the White House uh, to Mar-a-Lago, so I wonder if that plays into it as well. Yeah, that was that whole thing where he like wanted to take his love letters from uh, the yeah. Rocket Man. <laughs> My very, best friend, Kim very... Well, that story will continue to develop, I guess. Can I wouldn't be surprised. If... Come on, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear about that for the next couple of months. But I mean, it's never a good thing when the FBI comes to your house and doesn't tell you. Everybody get your truth social accounts ready. Tom, you have your truth social account? Yeah, I'm I've been posting truths. I do get text messages from Parlor periodically asking me why I'm not engaging. Oh no. You put your actual phone number on Parlor? Of course, so will you. I know. The good news is is that Michael Flynn Sr. is not on there nearly as much as he used to. So Michael Flynn Jr. is still good though? Yeah, he's fine. Okay, good. Thank God. Patriots. <laughs> This is crazy though because this this could be significant. This could be nothing. I don't know what to make of it, to be honest with you. I, I'm generally cur- I'm genuinely curious as to see what happens next, but I think it would be there has to be something to this. And I don't th- as we said earlier, I don't think it's January sixth related. I think it's just like Trump being Trump related. I it's also not a not possibility that this is all just like made up bullshit by him. I mean, yeah, no, that that dude. When when you you said it, I was the first thing I asked was who's confirming the rape? Because Donald what, Trump is confirming the rape. Right. So what a better rallying! I don't know. I mean, I sound like Alex Jones here on, on the left, but like what a, what what better setup for November to be like? They're raiding my home. The political persecution. They're going to come after you next. I'm in their way. Who was that shitbird that posted? um... It was a shitbird. God, I don't remember who it was, but it was the... um, At first they came for the the politicians. There was some conservative loon that posted that shit. Yeah, it's a famous... I don't remember who said the quote, but it's like, first they came for the communists and I said nothing. Then they came for... It's about fascism. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like something like MTG would say. Yeah, but she would screw it up wholeheartedly. Not realizing that it's literally against fascism. And, yeah. First yeah. they came for the gym owners and I said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> then they came for the gun owners and I said nothing. And then, then they, they came, came for their Then they came the for the Sam's Club members and I said nothing. <laughs> Not Costco because they're communists. 
I wouldn't be shocked though if the raid was actually just like his own attorneys were like, "Oh, we know they're coming for this stuff uh, at the end of the month, so we got to get it out of here." And so it was like just some fucking people clerking at their at his defense attorney's fucking law office. <laughs> it's He's all like, like the summer me. interns from Florida State <laughs> that are there. They're like, "Mr. President, we swear we told you a million times we don't work for the FBI." He goes, "We fucking FBI, you trying to come for me?" <laughs> I've read the creatures. files. I know what happened to JFK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean, so the DOJ had talked a lot about those boxes that he had taken from the White House and they planned to investigate it. So I wouldn't be shocked if that's what we do that. But there's, there's, a, there, back. there's that famous tweet of like Donald Trump gets into a situation and they're like, ah, see how he wriggles, you know, wriggles his way out of this one. Instantly wiggles out of it. Ah, well. He he's he is the classic. The cover up is always worse than the crime because, like you know, the the Russia thing ended up becoming nothing. You know, it was like, oh, he was coordinating with Moscow to go Trump the witch hunt. You mean the witch hunt, right? Big witch hunt. The big witch hunt. Yeah. Completely exonerated. Phony um, Comey. But like the cover up was like the worst part about it was because he fired Comey and then you know basically tried to get uh, Robert Mueller removed and all that. So it's like, if he had just complied, he probably would have been nothing. Yeah, if he had done nothing, Mueller, he'd have been okay. I actually have, I have an unconventional take. I think if Donald Trump gives you a nickname, he's a little afraid of you. Like, his, that means he's thinking about you, put some thoughts into you, right, to come up with a nickname. Or he's just, he's just that good at coming up with them. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of this. Um, obviously, because, like, and again, we don't really know what it was anyway, because, you know, not like the FBI are really going to comment on it anyway. If it's an open investigation, they're not going to show their hand. But uh, I would say any anything that's being confirmed by him should probably be confirmed by an actual credible source. Yeah. His grandi like, his, he's, he's always so grandiose about all this shit. It's like, it, it becomes a conspiracy into itself, right? Like, it's part of the whole machine. Like, Alex Jones, him, they're one and the same, man. They're just people that, like, have no problem distorting the truth. Well, that's what's so crazy about it, because you go back to pre-2016, he was on InfoWars. You know, the, the future president was literally a guest on InfoWars, which, like, felt like would never happen, any credible politician would have not gone on to Infowars, but he was cultivating a base. Even even if they agreed with Alex Jones, they knew to avoid him because he was like toxic. Right. Like it just those barriers don't exist anymore. It's such a fucking weird, what, weird world. What is your favorite Alex Jones like highlight? What what's your favorite Alex Jones moment? Um, the, my favorite Alex Jones moment has to be when. He talked about the time that he was 15 and a bunch of satanic cheerleaders brought him to a mansion to have sex with him <laughs> and tried to convert him to Satanism. Um, it's just because he it, it's clearly like in his wheelhouse of Satanism and like they're trying to convert, you know, they try to get me. But he was too strong for them. And also because he'd already had like he he pumped up like, oh, by the way, I was like getting laid all the time. <laughs> and so it was like it was it was 
self-referential. It had like he bo- he boosted his ego and still managed to get Satanism into it. So it's just it's just a perfect <laughs> Alex Jones segment. <laughs> Tom, what's your favorite Alex Jones? Oh, man, moment? I honestly don't know because I have not sat and watched like an Infowars like in its entirety. I will say there's that one clip online where he's just screaming, are you trying to have sex with me? <laughs> I don't know what the context is to it. I don't know what it's about, but the way that people have been able to clip that into like TikToks and Instagram reels is hysterical. And I, I will also say that when he had the caveman, um, bone broth guy on oh yeah it's like good (laughs) he's like this tastes like blueberry ice cream and you can see he's grimacing while drinking it because it's just too painful oh my god it's so fucking good i i still think to this day my favorite and it's not even that crazy of one for him but it's still my favorite because he did it um Pierce Morgan's show. Oh, the uh, guns thing? The gun things. And he's like, the tyrants did it. Hitler took the guns. Stalin took the guns. Mao took the guns. Fidel Castro (laughs) took the guns. Hugo Chavez took the guns. I watched that live. It was (laughs) fucking incredible. 1776, we'll rise again. No one will take our firearm. And he kept calling him a red coat, which was just fucking hilarious. Yeah, I'll wear my red, white, and blue, and you can wear your Jolly Roger. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! And it's and it's because like I hate Piers Morgan too, so it was just like perfect to just watch him just scream at him the entire time. You could tell like within five minutes he was like, "Oh, I made a mistake having this guy on the line," because like he really thought like he was gonna like. Like he thought corners. it was going to be like an intellectual conversation around. Gun I don't know. I I think he actually thought he was going to like embarrass Alex Jones and make him look like a fool. And then ultimately, you look like the fool for having this guy on your show. Right. Yeah. He embarrassed both of you instead of just himself. <laughs> oh boy. Um. Any closing thoughts on the one and only? Um. Oh yeah. So Alex Jones is still like using what's going on in court with right now, like on his show, he's saying like uh, the compromised, like the compromised email uh, text messages, whatever, like there may or may not be like, you know, dick pics and pictures of his very hot naked wife on there. Um, Dick pics though. Yeah. And, and saying that like people are using this all. Yeah. It's, so yeah. I'm sure there's a slew of like weird sex shit we're gonna find out about. Like, By the way, just... January sixth committee has his uh, last two years of text messages as well. Uh, I, I will say too, there's a an article in the Daily Beast that has just released that says that Tucker Carlson is a little concerned that his communication with Alex Jones might be in there as well. Yeah. Did you see him uh, yucking it up with Trump and MTG the other oh, day? Oh god, that was fucking terrible at yep. the at the live golf tournament thing. Yep, that's a whole other rant to get into. But um, I know that we have some other things that we wanted to talk about, and one of them is um, 
we've enjoyed our like high level philosophical conversations that we've had recently. And I think it's a nice break from just the insanity that is like the news cycle and ranting and raving about sports, but we do that so well. Um, the question that we're going to talk about today on the second mouse podcast, by the way, shout out to our Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube channel. Love them. They're fantastic. You should like, and subscribe. The question that we have today is what is more important to you being successful in your life or your life having significance? I'm going to start with you, Q. What would you rather be? Would you rather be a significant person or a successful person? I mean, it's an interesting question because do you really have to choose? I think that's my my point. So if you're ma- if you're making me choose, I would rather be significant than quote unquote successful because I I think the question is posing successful as like rich and like working at a hedge fund, right? Well, um, let me rephrase. If I put okay. your hand on the deli slicer blade and I said you had to choose, which one would you choose? Significant, because ultimately. <laughs> Listen, I'm not a fucking boar's head turkey, okay? But that might be an indicator of success if you were. Yes. Yeah, no. If I was if I was a boar's head oven gold turkey, I'd be the most successful person on earth. Uh no, I would say significance. Always always significance. Uh, but you know, I think I think we typically signify um, significance as good, but significant in Alex Jones' case can be bad. Sure. So if you're telling me that I'm significant for a good reason, then yeah, I would certainly choose that because we've, how many times have we seen successful people lose everything, you know, and ultimately like even a guy like Mike Tyson who had over a hundred million dollars was dead broke. So ultimately success can fade as you go on, but significance can kind of live on forever. So I think, I, I think I would ultimately choose that. Sure. sure. Yeah. Gatto, how about yourself? In some ways I see that, significance could be in itself considered a metric of success and i think that success can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people depending on what your defining um criteria are for it right like some people would say like i think like a classic version of success is probably is being financially you know, successful, right? Like to a lot of people that would be, but that might not necessarily to, to somebody else, maybe let's say a doctor being successful might be um, to have 100% successful surgeries, you know, in their career, right? Because money isn't necessarily the key indicator of, of how well they did. Now, significance um, then is also, uh, there's a question of like, you know, does does what you do right to me significance is like is is there like did you did you find purpose in life? And I think it's really important to find purpose in life. Um, so it's it's really hard for me to kind of pick or choose either one for this reason because I know that like I've done work in the past that I felt like was significant. And it wasn't necessarily earning me as much as I made, which was showing that I was being successful necessarily by like a classic definition of successful. But I felt more successful when I was doing that significant 
work you know what i mean and mm-hmm. i think the nature it's funny because i think also like the nature of like all of this is like work right or at least to me right like that's because to some people like being successful might be to never have a job so (laughs) i i it's 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 a hard one this is like that's you know like what's your take on it tom tom what do you what do you signify as like successful um i think success can be defined um at a shallow sense of the word like monetarily and I think very much that's what we look at as a society of what success is. Like, do you have the house? Do you have the car? Do you have all of these things that identify as successful? And I mean, I don't think we need to look very far in the sense of like, what are our major public figures defining as success? And ultimately, that's how we define it as well. Um, I initially, my my initial gut check response is significance is far more important than success because success can also significance can breed success. Um, your ability to be a defining person in something or your ability to do something well can inspire that kind of success down the road. I I used to work in an industry where. It was significance heavy, but like in terms of like the traditional metrics of what successful is, like we were not being paid very well and people tried to find their own forms of success. Like I would go to all of these conferences where the same people would win awards every single year. And it's like, yeah, no shit. They're also on all the planning committees and all the awards committees. And they just so happen to be winning all these awards or these folks who you know, they were campus professionals, but they were also speakers as well. And I asked myself, like, what are you actually doing on campus to help the students that you work with? And they were trying to find success in an industry that did not normally give it to you in a traditional sense. They were trying to find like personal validation through like awards and things like that. And ultimately, like I enjoyed the work that I did because I felt like I was making an impact on somebody's life and ultimately more people's lives. If that one person is able to communicate what I told them down the road. Um, And honestly, I think success breeds problems too. Like if we're looking again, if we're looking at it from the traditional metric of what success is, which is like monetary gain, that shit can solve your problems. But at the same time, like if you're not, discipline and how you're going to deploy it it can be very very problematic for you dude you i think you really hit it on the head when you said the word struck out to me like uh personal uh validation mm-hmm. right so like the answer to this i think is is actually like where do you find your personal validation and that's kind of where your answer is going to lie and and to this what other ways besides that traditional metric of success, what other like forms of success might you look at or use as a scale here or a judgment? What other qualitative styles hmm. of success? Both of you, obviously I'm posing this question too. I actually wanted to offer a counterpoint. Sure. So I, I totally agree with you, Tom. And I think, I think the traditional viewpoint is is correct but i think significance can 
kind of be multifaceted, right? Because some of the worst people in existence have are significant, right? Not in a good way. Yeah. Sometimes success can just simply be taking care of your family, right? Be having enough money to be able to make sure that your grandkids are taken care of, right? So you know the next few generations are taken care of. Maybe you're not significant. Like no one's going to remember, you know, if you're like in the accounting department of some like, you know, Fortune 500 company, no one's going to remember who you are, you know, 50 years from now, aside from maybe your family and friends. But if you can, if you're a good person and, and ultimately use your success to benefit the people around you, including, you know, your family and your friends, is it better in certain circumstances to have that instead of the significance, which may not bear the fruit of, you know, money and security? I, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any one like silver bullet answer. I think it's defined by every person individually. I think the easiest way to do it is like, the person who like sends you junk mail, there's actual companies that do that and they make a shit ton of money off of it. That person is theoretically successful. What about if you are also somebody that lives in your community and, you know, has started a community garden or mentors like high school students after work or after school, like, you don't fall into the traditional success metric in the sense that like money, prestige, fame, like class standing doesn't really mesh with what you're doing. But at the same time, like you're making an impact in more ways than just like sending people JC Penny catalogs. Well, now I would have to ask if there's really much of a difference at all between success and significance, because in some ways, like in Q's example of like, you know, providing for a family, you are successful by that metric, but you are also significant to those people, right? So there's a significance you play to them that you consider to be success, right? And sometimes it's also in like the opposite where your significance might not be successful, <laughs> right? You know, like, you know what the most interesting part of this question is, though, is that I think it reveals a lot about how you think about things because some people will instantly go towards the negative. Some people will ultimately go towards the positive. Some people stay in the middle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ultimately I think like my initial reaction was significance is viewed with a positive legacy, you know, and, and success, right. What we, what we, at least what we deem successful in, you know, our capitalist utopia of America is being well off. Right. Right. So I think it does kind of reveal like at least like the way you think about things, um, because some people might view success and like, yeah, I planted a I planted 100 trees last year. I was successful at that. So it uh, it really depends. But I think I think if anything, it really shows like the way your your brain kind of, you know, comprehends these questions. You see, I was I asked this question being fully prepared for both of you to say significance is the most important part. And I like that's just not good radio. So I was going to have to take the, the perspective of like successful being the most important part. But I, I, I would agree with you in the sense that it's really in the eye of the beholder of what you value in your life. And I mean, you could argue that for certain populations in the, in the country, like if you are from like a low income, you know, you know, first generation American going to college is success or getting a job 
that's above minimum wage is success. And I think in some cases we need to be mindful about what our own identities have provided us and what our own kind of like back history or our family ties have laid the groundwork for us to answer that question. And, you know, I think it's, it's a question that we should be asking more and more, particularly with, particularly with how we perceive certain like employment roles and responsibilities in this country. Like somebody will say like, why do you want to be a garbage man? Or why do you want to work in sanitation? Well, that person is a critical foundational piece of how my town, how your town, how our counties, how our states work, because Ultimately, if there's somebody who's not going to be there taking out our trash, then it's just going to build up. And then, you know, I don't trust the people that live on my street to be able to like take it to a dump. They're probably just going to throw it in the fucking backyard or something like that. Not to knock the people on my street, but people don't always take the the correct approach to solve a problem. They just get it off their table. I think, you know, I think that's a that's a topic of like do we think that society has benefited us for the good right because like like you just said like do we trust individuals to do the right thing and ultimately work in accordance with what's best for everybody or in own selfish selfish interests has this conversation now been skewed just based off of the quote unquote american dream right like it would we have always, yeah you we've always been told like you know you're supposed to go to college you're supposed to supposed to go to college you're supposed to get a good job you're supposed to get the house and you get the khakis and you get the girl or guy um and then you retire and then you die and you know what you do in between is kind of just up to you but and i'm not saying that going back to like the 19th century or this the 18th century solves that problem because there's a whole slew of other problems there as well but that sense of community is not there anymore that it is, that it was um, like you go to like a, a city council meeting 60 or 70 years ago, the room is full. You go to a city council meeting now and they're like, Holy shit, somebody's actually here. And I wonder that is this question of significance or success? Does this also coincide with kind of just the, the detachment that we have from like our nuclear communities or like the communities that we grow up in? Because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but where you guys grew up, there's not actually like a town center, right? There's not like a main street, Shirley. No. Where you can like congregate. There's not one in Shoreham or Wading River. There's one where I live in Concord, but that's farther away. And honestly, that's probably more out of the norm for the places that I've lived than what's normal that I see. I feel like yeah. that suburban experience has also kind of changed how we perceive what's success versus significance because people just do their own things now. It's, it's you know, it's funny too, because I'm thinking of this too. And I'm like, you know, this to my grandfathers, right? They would have been like, they're like, yeah, I did, I did this job for for my whole life. And I was really good at this job, and uh, you know, like the town thanked me for doing this or whatever it was. Like, um, and and I think like people don't have the luxury anymore because of like the rising, 
the rising levels of trying to stay afloat and be successful or significant mm -hmm. has become so much greater with more people that we don't have the time to be like active in our communities as much um, or, or give away that time, which I don't know if that's necessarily true as much as that we don't define like what we do in our towns to be as impactful now that we have like social media telling us like how, how things are happening globally you know what i mean like that perspective has shifted when it was like our grandfathers yeah going to town hall was significant because like they didn't know what the fuck was going on in the rest of the fucking country or the world at, at any given time necessarily because things were more important about what was going on there because that's what they were hearing about right and and tom i i think city council meetings are full now and it's oh. full. Of it's full of crazies. Oh yeah. So, I mean, you go to your your um your education board or your, yeah. your PTA meetings, and it's all about either of like, you know, what the curriculum is, or how there can be no peanuts in the in the cookies this year. <laughs> <laughs> Those people are just trying to be more significant. <laughs> so, what is um for both of you a question is what are you moving forward, what are you going to strive to be more? Are you going to strive to like use your success to be more significant? Or are you trying to have more of an impact on others in your life? Well, so for me, my main goal has always been to ensure that my family is taken care of, my family and friends are taken care of. So I would say significance leads into um success so mm -hmm. using i think i think many people are always trying to find what their driving force and what is your main motivator and some people just want you know success and fame and all that especially we live in the tiktok generation so uh you know it's it's not that far out of hand either so um but no for me it's always it's always been that main driving factor of just being comfortable. Like I've, I've never really wanted, I've never had aspirations to be rich. Um, I actually think it'd probably be more hassle than anything else. So uh, for me, it's always just been living a comfortable life. So, uh, so for me, definitely significant, uh, uh, you know, significant, significance leading to success. So. Cool. I just, I just want to have more cocaine yacht parties. Well, I mean, I think that was kind of a given. Yep. I, I just want to have some crazy wild orgies and grottos. Um, I want to just like gluttonize like several, you know, six foot hoagies at a time. And God, I was going to buy um, the collection of like, you know, Da Vinci and all, all those guys. And he's just going to burn them all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be like, uh, I'm gonna be like that Banksy exhibit where like it gets bought at the auction and then it's just going straight into the paper shredder. <laughs> You're gonna have all this priceless art in the restroom. Yeah. Like actually I was thinking about doing like a photo uh what is that? Photo pointillism, just like taking snapshots of my shits every morning and then eventually making a very vivid picture out of all of those micro go. images. Yeah, and hmm. uh Creating my significance through photo pointillism and my shit pics. But I, I will say, though, my ultimate goal in life is to get cheese all that 
or he's all that part two greenlit. So it's the only thing I have going. For yeah. Tom, that one. What was your, what was your conclusion on this? Tom? You know, I think that one of the things that has kept me out of kind of like the, you know, the income rat race or the jobs that is the fastest way to make like 200 K in a year or something like that is like, what am I doing? That's actually worthwhile. And I think we all know people in our lives that have taken jobs that are, don't really do anything and they're not really going to have much of an impact, but the people are like, I don't care. I'm like, I'm making a shit ton of money. But at the same time, if you don't have like a driving factor of what you're doing or a driving factor of like, why am I doing this? Um, I would rather have those answers figured out. Now I'm not saying that I want to be like fully indoctrinated and dream about my labor all the time, but I do think liking what you do is important and making sure that what you're doing is going to have an impact on people in a positive way. Um, that's a long winded way of saying like, I think for me, significance is important because it's just been something that has always been kind of in, ingrained in me since I was a kid. It's just like doing the right thing and doing something that helps others. Well said. Yeah. Any other thoughts guys? I still sell out, given the opportunity. Yeah, sure. And you owe me money anyway, so. <laughs> me? <laughs> you owe me coasters, you fuck. They're on their way. They ship today. Yes. I can't wait. I can't wait to just raid, like, bars and just give out second mouse coasters. It's going to be fantastic. All those, <laughs> all those garbage cans filled with our coasters. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> I There's a bar in town that... Um, if we had stickers, I would just like make wallpaper you, out of. You could, you could just, you could make those into stickers. It's called super glue. You bring a little bottle of that with you. Make sure you get each of the corners. <laughs> Elmer's carpenter's glue. <laughs> Smack. Just it. shellac it onto the. Just put it on the wall and then just shellac it onto the wall with like. That's fucking, a great idea, actually. I might do that. Get some caulk. Just fucking do it up. Right, I'm always sending you a hundred of them, so. Oh, I'm down with that. I, <laughs> I'm very social. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what you say, boys? You want to do picks of the week and assholes of the week? Sure. Let's pick some right. assholes. Who wants to go first? Uh, Mine's kind of general, so it's not going to require a lot of thought. Okay. Uh, a lot of time. So uh, as far as my asshole, it's going to be everybody in the White House, the CDC, and everybody else who seems to be mitigating this monkeypox problem because I'm, <laughs> we're seeing study after study saying that it's airborne. And there was one that basically said that up to 15 feet, um, they were finding traces of it in the air uh, on surfaces, everything like that. And here we are, everyone's still trying to pretend like this is a sexually transmitted disease. It's not only going to have blowback on the LGBT community, um, very much like COVID did with uh, the uh, Asian uh, community. Mm -hmm. It's also being mitigated. We're going to wait until this becomes a huge disaster uh, before anything's done. And then by then, it will probably be too late. So people need to start doing something about it. So, yeah, actually, I was going to do an asshole that had to do with this similar thing. It was Marjorie Taylor Greene for... Um, her going on, uh, I don't know if it was her fucking podcast or what, but saying that it's 
it's being spread through gay sex orgies and saying that uh it's 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 uh yeah it's all the rage hottest thing going on in washington dc right now um and uh that we shouldn't worry about it because it only has to do with uh men having sex with other men and that is a terrible terrible horrible piece of shit way of thinking about a health crisis and if you if you watched john oliver this past week um he did a great job talking about monkeypox he took a few cues from us but then he went a little further with it and said we could have probably avoided all of this because it's not the first time monkeypox has been an outbreak in the united states and we had a bunch of these vaccines ready to combat monkeypox sitting on the shelves and we let them expire instead of giving them to countries in Africa that probably could have used them. And, and so it's really atrocious if we're going to just sit here and act like this is only affecting a certain group of, you know, a certain community in America and um, treating it like it's lesser of a significant thing because it's this particular group. It actually, I was listening to the news this morning. I was listening to local news in Charlotte, and they said that the city of Charlotte is buying ads on historically utilized um, dating apps that um, folks in the LGBTQ community are utilizing to like spread awareness about monkeypox. And they're they're using a lot of statistics that that say like this is an outbreak within this community but at the same time one could make the argument that it's an outbreak for anybody that's having sex like why are we just utilizing this language for one specific population when in reality all populations are doing it well and... let's also take into account like if someone's bisexual right like right it's... yeah it can spread so, through, you know, man through woman that way, and then woman has sex with another man. And it's it's an outbreak. Yeah, and it's, I, I I would agree with both of you in the sense that like there's just, it's disappointing how this is being responded to, and you think like we had a warm up with fucking COVID, we can't get this right, like and and think about who's in charge this time. Yeah, but you're it's not hearing a whole lot about it because. Whatever. We're hearing a lot about inflation and everything else, but it's like this is why, like, for Biden, even like dropping the ball on this. So it's gonna it's gonna become a problem, and ultimately, he's not gonna have Trump to blame for this, like he did with COVID. So yeah, the uh, GOP has picked a neo Confederate nine eleven truther um, for Attorney General. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so uh, I, uh rolling stone a couple others have have uh gone on to report on this one and um he he believes he believes that public education is a communist plot uh abortion and gay marriage violate god's law and the concept of separation of church and state is a great lie <laughs> this is kind of like a running narrative that the right is using that there is no actual separation of church and state and it's like can you all not fucking read what, what it, state is this for now 
Uh, this is Maryland, which is a weird one too because they're yeah. a pretty moderate. Like their conservatives are pretty moderate, Relatively but not in this state. case. Yeah. yeah, and um, you know, maybe it's just because they have no. This guy has like no shot in hell of winning. I don't know the numbers there to say that though, um, but. Yeah, he kind of, it sounds like he's actually a huge Alex Jones fan. Um, he thinks controlled demolitions led to the Trade Tower Center fall. Sure. Um, you know, uh, he speaks a lot about it, actually. He speaks a hell of a lot about 9-11 and it being, um, you know, an inside job there. Um, but then... From 2012 to 2014, uh, this guy was a board member for the League of the South, a neo-Confederate organization deemed a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. So, like, yeah, this guy's pretty much a active white supremacist and sec- secessionist sympathizer. This was, like, 2012. I don't know how much that changes in 10 years. Um but uh, yeah, he's still angry that Maryland didn't secede at the start of the Civil War. Granted, he wasn't around then, but you know, um, fucking Christ. Yeah, his name is uh, Michael Bedford Parautka. By the way, I don't think I mentioned him. I was like kind of hesitant to even mention the guy by name. Yeah, but he's a public figure and he's running for election, so people would have found out soon enough. And plus, too, you. I don't feel like there's a lot of lunatics in Maryland that are running for office. And this guy would probably be number one on the Google search. Yeah. And, and like this kind of goes to a worry of mine that um, I think we've talked about it on the show too, that like the GOP is actually having a lot of trouble with their own identity right now. And they're struggling really, really hard. And there's like, this is the new movement of like, uh, you know, God and, or religion and state are like, you know, uh, compatico with each other. And that's very much not how we designed our country. And um, there's just like, I think we're, we're going through like a whole mess, which could be advantageous going into um, midterms, but it could also be disastrous if the wrong side ends up taking over the GOP. Well, yeah. and also Democrats have been bankrolling these guys. Yes. So, I'm sure. because they didn't learn their lesson in 2016 when they propped up Trump and then he ends up winning. So, they, they believe the crazier the candidate, the better off they, they are in beating them. And it's not always true. So, they forget the crazy that is the like constituents and the yeah. voters. Yeah. <laughs> but they kind of like these people. So, I think that the challenge that the GOP is going to have to deal with is like a lot of these people are unelectable, even by Republican standards. Like there's a difference between like libertarian Republican and like batshit crazy. Like technically the United States doesn't exist and this is a sovereign state people. I hope you're right. (laughs) I hope I'm right too, but um, I could, I could see it going both ways, but I would, I would hope that, the person that has like a a coming to like a consciousness moment where they recognize like, no, this person's fucking nuts. Maybe I should not vote for them. Maybe I should stay home. The the problem is it comes to this, this moment where it's like they eloquently refute all these like labels that are put on them about who they are. 
and they just don't act crazy for like you know four to six months before the election and that becomes palatable enough to get voted in and then they they go full crazy at that point and oh i i said if if trump had like for like just acted like covid was a real thing and like treated it as serious as it was he would have won re-election easily true yeah it really came down to the economy <laughs> like like everything does like you know dark brandon is fucking crushing right now because of the economy all right uh so my asshole of the week could have been a number of people but i am going to choose uh brandon straka who is walk away yeah the founder of the walk away movement um for those who've been following at home um cpac is the conservative political action committee they had their convention where they also had the president of hungary come and give a speech which is basically like borderline fascism, um, homophobic and racist. And they ate it up. They love that shit. But Brandon Straka was also involved in the January 6th insurrection, complied with the FBI and took a plea deal with them to give up his friends. Smart move on his part. But he had a, I guess you would call it an art exhibit. I guess that's a way to describe it. Or some kind of like exhibition that was at one of the booths at CPAC where it was him in a jail cell in an orange jumpsuit with a MAGA hat on, basically standing around crying. And it was like a silent disco where you would go up and you'd take a pair of headphones and you'd listen to like all of these sob stories from people that were arrested from the January 6th insurrection. And it's him like, marking on a blackboard how many days he's been in prison like asking someone to call his mom and it was just such performative bullshit and it's so stupid and to the point where marjorie taylor green actually walked into the cell and prayed with him and Uh the right is like eating this up it was like this is like the left being the gestapo and it's like no this guy broke the law and he not only broke the law but he was also caught and then he like copped a plea deal with the FBI and got all these other people arrested. And now he's like playing the victim here and what they do. Well, yeah, they, I didn't even know that they run that back so well. I didn't even know that was Straka who did that, Um, but not, not surprising to say the least. Um, And, and just like, it's just so fucking stupid how like you can protest at the Capitol break in a police officer dies and there's footy there's video footage of like people hitting cops with flags with like riot shields with like pieces of two by four breaking windows and then claim that you're the victim it just blows my mind that this is the narrative and cpac is like a fucking horrible place where the worst ideas come to like fester and matt schlapp who's also just a huge hunk of shit. He's the one who runs it. Congratulations, Brandon Straka. I am walking away from you because you're a piece of shit and you're my asshole of the week. I hope you walk into a jail cell. Uh, the president of Hungary, by the way, Victor Orban, if, uh, if you listen to his speech, 
he sounds like that Gru character from Despicable Me. It's like with less charisma, right? It's indistinguishable. <laughs> He's like, I have come to Texas. This <laughs> Borat and Gru. <laughs> Racism, good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So that's that's my whole shtick. And there was this whole thing um, that I saw on Twitter today where they're making an announcement. It says, ladies and gentlemen, we are domestic terrorists. And I guess somebody was walking onto the stage and it's like, hmm, okay, cool. Love that. They, but that's like, they do that all the time. They're always like, they're like, they label us terrorists and dangerous. Like, it just means we're edgy and right. Like, that's their whole, they love saying that shit about it. Yeah, you're financed by the fucking Koch brothers. Like, get over yourselves. <laughs> I, I I have to say the walk away uh, movement website is uh, particularly stock, but amazing. Um, <laughs> it's very just, mid. It's very mid. It's got like it's got like you can tell this is like you know they 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 took some footage, some B roll of like walking down the street. They got like superimposed Brandon Straka here in front of a crowd. And it's like a rally or whatever, and they make it look like it's like, you know, um, like a civil rights movement like film, you know, with the gray the gray out effects. So, <laughs> such a and yeah, they go after all the talking points of like liberal media bias and anti-Semitism. The Democrats and, uh, are actually the KKK members. Yeah, yeah, they're they're the big racists, and they're they're the ones that want to uh take away all your rights and apparently all never heard of the southern strategy before assholes yeah uh i don't know who any of these people are that they have quoted on their website either are these are uh, these people supposed to be famous that's Can you're not indoctrinated owens, bro candace owens is a big uh was a big proponent of walk away she's a big proponent of anything that's gonna pay her though yeah that's true big opportunities for sure yeah, I don't know. Like, oh, they have like "Wake America Great Again." What does that even fucking mean? <laughs> they they will literally like now they have Ultra Maga. They had Dark Maga for a while. They're just they're just throwing anything out to see if it sounds cool enough that they can sell some merch on it, and then that's it. Then Ultra then Maga, on. Dark Maga. Do they have like Blonde Rose Dark Maga or like? <laughs> Grande Maga, Venti Maga. <laughs> We're going Venti Maga this fucking November, guys. Venti Maga. Yeah, I'm, this website. Life, just... Liberty, and Levin. Mark Levin. Oh god. Oh. I used to. I, I used to listen. Um, when I was at St. Joe's, I used to listen to Mark Levin sometimes, just because like ABC, like. You know, I was I was always listening to like just the radio at that point, and because mind you, it was before you like really connect shit to your fucking car, and like Handy used to be on. I would just listen to it just to see what they were they were talking about. Mark Levin is the biggest fucking baby I've ever heard in my life. He's he just cries about every little fucking thing. You mean he talks like he infantilizes as he talks, like mommy, daddy hurt me <laughs> when voting for Biden. Ah. <laughs> He, he's, his voice is grating, too. Just like, ugh. Yeah, he sounds like a big whiner. I'm, like... 
who are some of these people? These right are now? these people are fucking nobodies. Like, <laughs> uh, Brandon Straka, you're my asshole of the week. You're a piece of shit. Picks of the week. Let's go. All right, I'll I'll go around the bend again. Um, I I watched Prey last night. Uh, it was fucking awesome, and I've always liked the Predator series and. It, for the longest time, it didn't feel like any of the movies really kind of held up. Uh, Predator 2 is not great. And the only other one was Predators with Adrian Brody. It was pretty solid. It gets it right because it actually does what you should do for a Predator movie, which is essentially just create a story, put characters in it, and then all of a sudden you just drop a fucking Predator into it. And uh, it's kind of like a cat and mouse game. So it's 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 not overwhelming, um, like with machine guns set in 1700s. Uh, it was really well done, um, and the predator looks fucking sick. And actually, like, invented new ways that it like hunts and everything like that. So, uh, I thought it was awesome. Well worth the hour and forty five minutes um, I spent on it. So, give it a watch. How was the writing in that? Because I watched a review about it, and they said it was surprisingly the the film itself was surprisingly good, but the writing was real clunky and. Um, I, I, mean, I I would jump I'm gonna jump on the, the prey train here too Q. Okay. Um because I watched it and I I liked it as well. Um I think you could have in theory you could have gotten like a mediocre movie out of it without the predator because right. the sto- like the story of itself is um a like Native American girl in her community who wants to be a hunter and it, like it takes place has, during the comanche nation uh so during like the 1700s yeah mm-hmm. and so she's she's faced with a dilemma of having like a traditional female role in her tribe and wanting to do more and prove herself and then they drop the predator in like you said yeah and, just drops the fucking predator in bro that fight scene at the end is fucking phenomenal it it, it yeah, so the, the the and I was surprised that they said that about the writing because it's done by Dan Trachtenberg. If you've ever seen uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, mm-hmm. uh, awesome fucking movie. It's one of the more things he's famous for. Which another movie has great writing. I, I don't think you really need like supreme writing in a Predator movie, right? It's like and and I and I classify like maybe the dialogue, maybe some of the dialogue. Dialogue was, wasn't so strong, right? Yeah, it was, it was spoken in English for the most part, but there are Comanche uh, words that are used, which I believe is the first time they've actually dubbed over uh, Comanche. And all the actors, I believe, are native, so that also was another good thing that they did. Um, so, storyline but- is just fucking killer though yeah, yeah. It, and like a lot of people complained about the cgi animals and it's like you can't get a fucking lion or a bear in this movie and expect it to fucking there are times where i'm like yeah they probably could have done practical but like in this case and it doesn't look that bad from the trailer so i'm not spoiling anything there's a there's a moment where the predator fights a bear and then fucking yeah, picks it up and tosses it. it's fucking sick as shit um, but you see how smart the predator is, and like you're, you're, you're having this cat and mouse game between this young woman and him. She and a lot of like, of course, all the fucking chuds started going like, oh, it took a fucking team of fucking highly trained military guys in the original to take down a predator. Now it's just some girl, and it's like, well, you see that it wasn't. It's a, it's, it was a team effort among some of the uh, other people in her tribe too. Um, but it just from, from, I, I had me in the beginning. Cause I was like, this is actually kind of a captivating story. 
of her trying to be, you know, a hunter. And then all of a sudden it just fucking drops predator in. And it's like, all right, I'm, I'm doubling now. Cause it had a good story. It had good characters and you just fucking, but like, that was the problem is like, like you ever watch alien versus predator. It's too centered on the, the alien. If the predators in the background, you don't really even see it for the first like half an hour. You know, it's just kind of doing stuff in the back. It also tackles colonialism, a couple other themes. So it's, it's, uh, it's well worth a watch. In my opinion. Yeah, I was, I'm pleasantly surprised to hear that it was better than expected because I think we've just, we've lived through enough like alien and predator movies that have just been not good. They're fucking garbage. Yeah. Gar- so like, I think this opens a good idea. Like, yo, fucking take an alien movie and set it in fucking like feudal Japan. Like, yeah. Just start like setting up period pieces and then just drop a fucking predator into it. I mean, the whole thing is like the predator really is a catalyst for the whole the the larger story of like like finding whatever that main character is seeking, right? Or exactly. getting it's a classic hero story. You know, yeah. there's the abyss. There's there's the first encounter. Like you get all those big notes of of your classic hero hero story like plotline and it just delivers well it's well composed it overall i really enjoyed it and and it's worth the the full hour 40 minute commitment to it yeah and that final that final fight scene is Dude, fucking awesome so good that last scene cuz they she like okay without spoiling she develops through the movie and she brings all of those pieces to the end with her and yeah. uses it and like it's it's just it's a fucking it's good. It's, it's not done. It's not done by brawn. It's done by like calculating smart, smart yeah. moves. Yeah. I think that's the thing that I'm excited is that we've gotten so many movies where the protagonist in the story is like perfect, and yeah. there's no like character development. There's no struggle to learn and develop and grow. Um, I'm excited to watch it. I'm. I'm I'm curious because ultimately like this is the Predator franchise just taking a chance. And I think they did well. I, I mean well. from what you I'm guys surprised. sound like they they tried something and it's 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 hit. I'm actually surprised that this is a streaming movie. I'm surprised this is not a theatrical release because it could have been a theatrical release. It's good Honestly, enough to have been the that. Predator was a theatrical release and it was terrible. So they probably wanted to just avoid that and try something that oh, was completely that off the wall. Was awful. Awful. Yeah. And like I like the Predator movies for the most part. Like I love the first one's a classic. Second one's fine. It's not great, but it's it's fine. And I like I actually like Predators. Um but like yeah that one that recently came out was garb. This this yeah. is like because also the tone of the movie is like because like the the predator movie was centered too much around the goddamn predators it's like it was all about them and the people are just background characters to where this is like a human story and just drop a fucking predator into it yep cool i'm down got what you got um so actually while watching prey um hulu had shown me some suggestions some suggestions that uh, I might want to watch afterwards. And one of them was a show on FX called Reservation Dogs. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's a series created by uh, Steve Harjo and uh, Taika Watiti. And um, I think, you know, 
Taika is wait what? It's a great show. Oh, you've seen it already? Yeah. Yeah, so it looks really funny. Um, I'm very interested in seeing that. Uh, anything that that Taika does is usually pretty fucking good. Um, and it looks like it has like weird dark humor, which is you know right up my alley. So you know, I'm I'm very interested to get into it. Q, do you want to elaborate a little bit more since you have? I've only, I've only watched I've only watched the first few and uh no it's it's really funny and out there and and I yeah I definitely recommend people give it a watch. Sweet. Yeah, it caught my eye. So <laughs> that's what I'm going to get into. Tommy nice. Guns. Yeah, so my pick of the week is a book that I'm currently into Nerd. and the name of the book is America's Bank, The Epic Struggle to Create the Federal Reserve, um, written by Roger Lowenstein. Um, it talks about um, America prior to World War I and the effort to find a way to avoid bank runs and bank panics that were pretty common in the U.S. during that time. Um, it goes to show that even back then, America's political system was incredibly complicated and policy change was also really, really um, tricky to do, particularly with a national bank. It talks a lot about like Andrew Jackson's decision to kill the national bank and why a lot of the language around uh, a national bank is different. Um, and I will say too, the more I read about times like this and the more i read about teddy roosevelt the less and less i like of him yeah um, I, I i liked it i i was a huge teddy guy and yeah i'm I kind of have the same feelings that yeah it, is there just like this high school like history kind of like appreciation like every adolescent boy goes through with teddy roosevelt because it's, he's like the he did shit he did cool shit that like well, other presidents didn't he do. got shot in the chest and still finished finished his speech and like you know he was I, a yeah he was like a military hero and yeah. all that stuff but he was also an imperialist and of course yeah. Yeah. A lot of i mean if things. if you've ever if you've ever read the imperial cruise it talks a lot about like this mission to japan to build a relationship with the japanese meanwhile he's running he's authorized this like essentially like a genocide in the philippines during that time um where it was incredibly gory and bloody um and the way that the way that TDR spoke about, or the way that Teddy Roosevelt spoke about the Japanese, um, he effectively dismissed them as like a society that never will be, as a society that will never be as advanced as like white society. And it, come to find out the Japanese knew that he was saying that about him. And they were like, this guy's an idiot, but we're going to play him for all he's worth. Um, and even in this, now, yeah, in, in this book, too, it basically like illuminates the fact that when, T, when Teddy Roosevelt um, was out of office and William Howard Taft, who was his vice president, um, was president of the country, Roosevelt said that he would not talk about 
American policy for 60 days. He lasted four and basically just like talked a ton of shit about William Howard Taft and effectively would not let him lead the country. And it talks a lot about like Teddy Roosevelt's essential just insecurities of how he would not let other people lead. And I'm sure he's a fascinating guy and he did a lot of things like um, broke up a lot of monopolies and, and did a lot of populist um, things that were popular at the time, but just his approach for a number of things. A lot of it was also vanity as well, where he said like, Oh, I'm this rancher and I've got this ranch in the West. He went there like once. Like, I think, I think, I think the quicker, like, I think the one thing that you learn is that like, nobody during that time was maybe aside from like john brown like no one was really like perfect you know <laughs> and like the things that like they always find like oh like this seems guy seems like he was like really accepting of the times you know considering the time that he's living in right you have to play that into context but like it seems like you know no one no one is a, a, away from the like racist undertones and all that even a guy like teddy roosevelt who didn't on the surface, seem like that, but yeah, Teddy's a giant titty. <laughs> John Brown. Yeah. So um, again, the name of the book is um, America's Bank, and Roger Lowenstein is the writer. Do us all a favor: go out to your local library and get a copy of it, read it. Because um, even now, as we're talking about inflation, we're talking about the Federal Reserve. A lot of the stuff is still applicable to today. Definitely history. Tends to repeat itself. It does. Yeah. Cool. Tom, you think so? Yeah. So that'll do it for another episode of the Second Mouse Podcast. We appreciate y'all stopping by today and, and letting us rant and rave about y'all. some of the musings of the week. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter, and you can also find the podcast itself on all major streaming platforms. Do us a favor and give us a follow on your favorite social media pre- platform. Give us a uh, like and subscribe on um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Play, Amazon Music. We're on them all. We're on them all. Um, but I will also say, too, I don't know if this is official yet, but we will be doing our um, our fantasy football like preview next week. So everybody prepare your bodies because we're going to talk about some fantasy football, probably take up a, a a significant amount of time. And from my understanding, we're going to have a special guest to come on and talk about it. Is that correct? I hope it's soon. Yeah. Awesome. So tune in next week, obviously listen to this one and share it with all your goons, but come to us next week. We're going to talk fantasy football. We're going to get you pilled on this 2022 football season. Yeah. Leading up to the, uh, you know, the end of drafts, I think we'll, we'll try and include it each week with some sleepers and some ideas of maybe who to draft and who to avoid. Exactly. All, All right. right, folks. We are out of here. Bye. Later. Okay, let's give me a rhythm. Follow me. Then he says, and I'm not kidding you, he goes, now clap. Please clap. Just clap for that, you stupid bastard. I need applause to live.
jokes, Mr. Jokey. Joke maker. Ha! <laughs> suck it, Jack Sparrow. 